This episode of The Pitch is brought to you exclusively by State Farm. If you're a small business owner, you know that it isn't just your business, it's your life. And whatever your business might be, you want someone who understands. That's where State Farm Small Business Insurance comes in. State Farm agents are small business owners themselves, living and working in your community. That means they know what it takes to help you personalize your policies for your small business needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. I'm Josh Muccio, and from Gimlet Media, this is The Pitch, where real entrepreneurs pitch to real investors. Hello. Hi. All right. Hi. How are you guys doing today? Good. How are you? I'm you stopped us from singing. We were just about to do a karaoke. I know. I was wondering what was yeah. going on before. Before the investors do something they'll regret, Dawn Dixon enters the room. She's here to raise $500,000 for her startup, Popcom. Dawn thinks her company can do for retail what online shopping did in the 90s, totally revolutionize it. And she's got some pretty smart technology behind her plan, like facial recognition smart. But is the world ready to embrace this change? Today's investors include... I'm Daniel Galati. Daniel is a serial entrepreneur turned VC with Comcast Ventures. I'm Phil Nadell. Phil is managing partner of Forefront Venture Partners with over two decades of investment experience. I'm Jillian Manis. Jillian is a partner at Structure Capital and an angel investor on the side. I'm Michael Hyatt and I invest my own money. Michael is a Canadian investor who sold two software companies for over $500 million. Okay, on with the pitch. Yeah. What's yeah, your name? But yeah. My name is Dawn Dixon okay. and I'm the founder and CEO of Popcom. Of what is it called? Popcom. Popcom. Popcom isn't Dawn's first time starting a company. She used to run an online shoe company that sold cheap women's flats for on the go designed for when you break a heel or your shoes are giving you a blister. They were sort of like in case of emergency shoes. The problem was, when that emergency arose, it was too late to order shoes online and then wait for them to be delivered. So Dawn started thinking, what's the best way for women to buy them right when they need them? I was looking for a direct-to-customer distribution, so I looked at vending machines as a way to sell a retail product. Vending machines. You're probably thinking about a simple snack machine with chips and soda. But they've actually gotten a lot more advanced. Smart kiosks are popping up everywhere. Right now, there's 8 million vending machines in the United States. 1 million of those are considered smart, which means they have a touchscreen and they can accept credit cards. That number of smart machines is growing 30% year over year as retailers continue to bring new concepts into vending machines. So we're tar- to Don, this seemed like an obvious way to sell her emergency shoes. Whenever someone broke a heel, a nearby kiosk could give them quick access to a replacement pair of shoes. But then she realized that even though this made her shoes more accessible, she lost out on knowing who exactly was buying them. From my experience in e-commerce, I got all of my information about my customer from tracking the IP address. I could tell the conversion rate from the IP, where they're located. I could remarket them. I could retarget them. I could send them an email thank you or say, hey, you abandoned your cart. But on the vending machines, there's no way to do that. As smart as these new machines are, they still lack the sophistication of the Internet. We've all had a similar experience when you're shopping for something online 
and then you get on Facebook and lo and behold, there's an ad for the exact thing you were looking at just a minute before. And privacy concerns aside, all of this is possible because of the technology that's baked into your web browser. Technology that lets online retailers know more about you as a consumer. And Dawn thought there must be a way to get that data on the customers buying from one of her vending machines. I went out looking for a hardware solution and a software solution to sell products to customers on the spot, and it didn't exist. So we've developed a software solution that makes self-service retail smart. I said, what is closest thing to an IP address in physical form? And that's the human. That's the person. So we use anonymized... The customer. customer. We use anonymized facial recognition at the point of sale to identify that customer. Sound crazy? It actually isn't. In fact, there's an article in the April issue of The Atlantic about what companies in China are doing with facial recognition software. And it's a lot. For example, there's a smart KFC that scans your face and gives you menu suggestions based on your age, sex, and facial expression. Looking sad? Fried chicken is definitely the answer. And to make it all possible, all the customer has to do is make an account and link it to their face. With the customer's permission, we can verify your face against your ID to dispense a product that's regulated. So think Sudafed, think cannabis, think Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. alcohol, alcohol that you need an ID to verify. We have that ability. So ultimately, the big vision is to be the data company that provides data about consumer retail purchases, demographic information, and the best place to put the next kiosk or vending machine based on the traffic. So we're purely data analytics software for self-service retail. So how exactly does it work? Imagine this is a vending machine and you're walking up to it and shopping. So I'm gonna open up my camera because we need the camera. I'm gonna stand in front of it so you can see that it's me because it's it's gonna look at my face. Um, And this is, I'm going to pick a pair of shoes. Again, very similar to the e-commerce experience. So you're assuming the pair of shoes is in the vending machine. This is what it sells. Customers, our customers can customize their interface to look like their website. So you're already comfortable, familiar, because this is what you're used to. Through your platform. Through my platform. I'll pick a size. I'm added to my cart. So I already entered my email. I have a discount, and there's my email. So I'm checking out. Yep. So I can pay, let's say I'm going to pay with face. I've already created an account. Let's say I've already created an account and pay with my face. And we're going to pay with my face. Uh-oh. Let me pull it up again. Demo glitch. Okay. Yeah, I'm sure we can all relate to this. The moment finally arrives to give the big presentation, and the damn thing doesn't work. You're trying to play it cool, but on the inside, you're falling apart. But this could be bad news blues for Dawn, since the product she's trying to demo is her entire business. So the true functionality here, which I think I've turned my camera off somehow, this is the dashboard. So I'm the business. I just sold a pair of shoes. My camera was off. I could do it again. I do this all the time. So let me just go to the analytics and show you that it actually does work. Do you? So your customer is the end retailer as opposed to the... Hardware owner. My cu- my customer, we have the vending machine and kiosk manufacturers, which we have a ma- we have a partnership with the number one kiosk manufacturer in the country called Kiosk Information Systems, kiosk.com. Yeah. You're only working with them right now. Currently. Because, because they're the I mean, biggest one. And they're you the biggest one. We want right. to go to market with them. Yeah. We have a great relationship. 
And it's a great case study. If we're working with the number one in the country, who else is going to tell yeah. us no? What yeah. is their market share? They're number one. They're number one manufacturer in the country. So what does yeah, that represent? Uh, yeah. That represent fifty percent. I actually 60%. don't have the numbers. The reason I'm asking yeah. is, is it is it is this business predicated on you know one deal with that one no, with kiosk.com? Well, I think that actually could be a really good thing. Where like if you've locked up kiosk.com and they've got ninety percent right. market Correct. share, yeah. that's yeah. actually a great right. thing yeah. for you. So if you- they've got five percent market share and it's a completely fragmented market. Um, you know, probably gonna have to do a bunch of these deals. You know, I don't know the number by heart. You know, I just- this question: How much of the market Kiosk.com owns is actually really material to Don's pitch, because she's creating software that Kiosk.com is selling in its vending machines. If they own ninety percent of the market, that means Don can reach a ton of customers. But if it's just a small sliver of a fragmented market, this partnership doesn't mean much. And how do you charge for this? So we consider each vending machine to be its own store because it is. And so we charge it. Each base price is $200 per machine per month. We're also working to integrate with companies like Shopify so that we can actually, if you have a vending machine and a website, you can truly omnichannel, manage your inventory, your messaging, your CRM all together. My biggest question here is, I think this only works if it generates value for the reta- for the brand, mm-hmm. like for the end retailer, Definitely. right? At the end of the day, like that, that is your, even though they're not paying you directly, that is the customer. That's who it's for. It's all about the retailer. It's all about the brand, the value. It's all about the retailer and the brand. So, so, if, so let's start there, which is what percent of sales, like do these brands sell through this channel? And where I'm going with that is, you know, e-commerce analytics and physical retail analytics are valuable because that's where 99% of their sales now, are. But think about in the 90s. So what So what does that look like today for this channel? And are retailers kind of fine with not knowing that much about this channel just because it's so immaterial? No, they're not fine. That's why we don't see as many machines in the United States selling physical products as we do in other countries like China in Japan, but just today, where there's one machine for twenty every 23 people yeah. selling a product. I get that, but just today. So I get the what you need to believe story, and, yeah. and I get that this is kind of an underpenetrated channel. But just today, if you take um, that shoe brand, right, like what percent of their sales are done through this channel today? Not a lot because they don't have enough data to scale that business. So Like 1%, 5%, 0.1%. Um. I, I honestly don't know that. Because that that's really the critical question so for me. So what I did to just to just to make my point clear, I totally get I get the value. I think it makes all the sense in the world. My my hypothesis is there aren't a ton of retailers and brands that derive more than one percent of their revenue via this channel. Because today, they don't have the opportunity just, just, today. On, just today. Today. And so um, if that's true, then I don't think that if. I don't think that if penetration just kind of stayed the same, that there'd be a business here. Because it's absolutely not going to stay the same. It's growing 30% okay, year so that, over year. So, so that's the bet. So the yeah. bet is we're, we're betting on the fact that, you know, this channel will be 5, 10, 20% of these retailers and brand sales in 5, 10, 15 yeah, years from now. We're betting on the fact that the $10 billion pop-up industry is going to continue to grow. Okay. I do think that the customer is... Like you've always got like two customers, obviously yeah. one the the manufacturer and secondly the Retail. the end brands. And yeah. I I do think I think of the end brands and retailers as the most obviously the most important part in this whole story it because is the most important part. they're the ones that are ultimately going to determine your success. Absolutely. And so I still and where I get caught up is I just don't know how important this channel is to them. So like in 1990, how important was e-commerce as a yeah. channel? 
Yeah. You know, zero. This is the future of retail. Don's like, look, we don't know how big this will be yet because it's too early. Just like in the 90s when the internet was just starting out and people had no idea that things like Amazon were going to come along and completely change how people buy stuff. But this is a bold-ass statement to make. She's comparing what's happening with smart vending machines in places like China to the dawn of the internet, a thing that has fundamentally changed life as we know it. What makes you think that now is the time that this channel kind of inflects? Like, because what are the forces a- that are coming together? E-commerce, you had, yeah. I mean, you used the example of e-commerce in the 90s. Yeah. And, and there was one big force, which is the internet. Yeah. Like, what is the force here? The force here is that, you know, brick and mortar is changing, but it's not going away. 82% of customer decisions are still made in stores. Customers just want more interactive experiences with brands like they're used to getting online. With the boom of the pop-up shops, it shows me that retailers online want a physical presence. They want to connect with their customer in front of their customer and be selling products in real time. And the way to drive that would be through vending. I've watched the trends in other countries like Japan, like China, and like Europe, and seeing how automated retailing and self-service retail is growing. We can look at even simple things like checking in your bag at the airport. It went from checking in to get a boarding pass, and now you're tagging your own bags. This We're getting taught to check out our own groceries. We're getting taught to order our own food. So it's a matter of time before we're buying everything out of self-service machines. So Don has made some pretty bold statements about the future of retail. There's only one question left in the investors' minds. Why is Don the right person to help make this future a reality? Can you go tell us your background? Yes, I've been an entrepreneur 16 years. I started my first tech company in 2001. I've never failed. None of my businesses ever failed. Um, Got an acquisition offer, 50-50 partnership. Didn't want to sell. He kept it. I walked away, started another venture, a consulting company. Back up, back up, back up. It's long. It's 16 years worth. You want it? (laughs) Well, you can just sell. So 2001, you built a company that was what type of company? A media company. So we were streaming video before YouTube, streaming music platform. It was a website for entertainment and events in central Ohio. We had the first of its kind website. We had the first email list in the city. We were getting over 100,000 unique visits and hits every month locally. And, and how did you exit that? I just walked away from it and let my partner keep it. He didn't want to sell it, and he's still doing it. So you wa- Why did you walk away? I wanted to do something else. So didn't you sell percentage? Didn't you sell? No, your I still bit? have. I still have my same ownership. He oh, just. You oh, still okay. own half of it. Yeah. Oh, okay. He just does his thing with it, and he's turning into an app now. And okay, so, what did you I do after that? Started a consulting company in 2005 to then help businesses do what I did and grow their online following. So did that for five years. And then I gave my book of business to another consultant, just exited that one too. So um, small little buyout. It wasn't like an official exit. And then I started a consumer product company. And? And grew that business. Um, Started that in 2011. That is the business that I showed you with the shoes. I started selling shoes and vending machines in Atlanta Airport in Club Live in the Fountain Blue Hotel, MGM Grand in Las Vegas. I wanted to scale that business. I couldn't scale it without data. And then I got the idea for this business. So did you shut that business down? I did not shut that business down. I hired a COO to run it, and I stepped down from the business. But it's I'm one of still, your customers. It's one of my customers. Right. My first customer. Flat. My first paying customer. Flat. Flat. flat out of heels. So yeah. my business is my first paying customer. Oh, that's cool. It's decision time. Daniel goes first. So um, 
here's where I stand. I think, um, so I guess where we agree is I think this solution makes a ton of sense for the brands and retailers. Like, it just seems like they should get um, the same level of data inside analytics as they do in all the other channels that they're in. So I get the pain, I guess, and I get the solution. Like, that all checks off. I think where I might disagree with you is I I just think, you know, like retail, US retail is like this big elephant and I feel like this channel is like an ant. So I just feel like the easy way out for these brands and for most brands and retailers is to kind of say, hey, this is like less than 1%, less than half a percent of our sales. And so I don't really like care or need analytics on this channel. Mm -hmm. And so for that, for those reasons, I think you're building a great product um, just kind of can't get there on market size, so I'm going to pass. Let me just give you a pr- real quick before. I- yeah. Let's just say, okay, you're right. You're right. Only twenty thousand vending machines want this at yeah. two hundred a month. That's a good business. It's an okay business. It's a pretty good business. Yeah. Twenty. I mean, twenty thousand at two hundred a month base. Yeah. But that's not the case. But I just want to yeah. give you a perspective and also. You remind me of like the people in the '90s who said we don't need a website to sell yeah. our products. We don't. We're not going to sell online. We're doing good in yeah. the store. Yeah, but I just, I guess, um, not to belabor the point. I just, I don't see the growth catalyst here for the channel. Whereas in e-commerce in the '90s, it was the internet. So, right. like, what is that now? It's Besides the convenience. The- it's you know, again, you see the airport kiosk, you see the movie theater, the restaurant yeah. kiosk. All these kiosks can use our software to understand who their customers are. The software can be used on those kiosks, yeah. same as they can to buy a product. It doesn't have to be just to buy a product. It could be to transact. Yeah. So you're out, but when you walk out the door and go places, start to look at how many kiosks you see. Yeah. Everywhere. There's not a place without a kiosk. Yeah. There's not a place. Yeah. You look torn, Jillian. I'm so torn. I what can't are you torn? stand it. What, what are you? You want to know why I'm torn is because... I don't really invest in areas I don't know anything about, but I'm not a big shopper. And so I don't have that experience of, I don't think I'd ever buy anything out of a kiosk because I don't know if I have that trust. Um, I couldn't buy a pair of shoes out of a kiosk. What if it comes out? So there is a level of trust. The same thing with makeup. What if it's old and I, you know, I can't see it and I can't open it and I don't have that trust. So me personally, I don't get. I don't understand the whole kiosk sell. I get it's an expanding business. Um, I believe you in the fact that I see pop up shops, and I definitely see that 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 this is going to be a a, a very vital piece of the retail. This sort of hybrid. All right. Um, I see these ven- vending machines all over Europe, all over right Asia, and I agree with you. We're behind. We're behind. If I had this acumen, I would invest in this, but I don't. And so I add zero value. And in fact, I think would be one of the, like the dumb investors that have all the stupid questions and would just use up a lot of your time. And for that reason, I'm going to pass. Jillian is out. Here's Phil. Um, so I, I agree with Julian that I feel like you're sort of riding a wave. And I think that I'm, I'm a little less concerned uh, with sort of the percentage of sales that, that are currently done through this channel because I think it's it's just going to grow very quickly. Um, 
you know, I, I think that the younger generations, younger people in this country are becoming more and more accustomed to using facial payment, facial recognition for payment, for transactions. Um, so I really like the product. I really do. And I like the market, even though it's sort of at its nascent stage. Uh, where I'm struggling is, well, I don't, I don't love the sort of the distribution channel. I'm a believer in having control of your own destiny and sort of selling it yourself as opposed to relying on a, a partner like the manufacturer to sell it. Um, so that's a concern. I mean, it's tempting because I feel like you know, you're at a, you're not raising much, but I really would like to see you make the first tweaks to the system, which you'll make after you get feedback. I'd like to get to that next stage. So I feel like for me, I, I would be extremely interested in the next round. Awesome. And, uh, or even if this round is open when you're still generating revenue, which it probably won't be, but if it is, I'd be interested in that. So Phil's passing the buck to his future self. Next up, Michael. Um, so I would say that I, th I thought you were a little, uh, the way you kind of talked about your history about giving away this company here and there, and that, that it threw me off a little bit as an investor because my immediate gut, and I know it was theirs, was did you just give away money and how are you going to treat our money? So just be careful about your history. I agree with that. You know, yeah, right? I it, did agree with that. Uh, and, yeah. I, and I just want to know that, we always want to know that our money is treated like yours. Michael, just, that, that was not, a red flag for me. Hearing was, about your history yeah. and the three ventures. And, was dismissive. And, and that you just walked yeah. away. Yeah. That was a red flag. That's yeah. concern. So, so maybe you frame that in a different way. I um, will, yeah. But, you, but, you. but you, are, you are really smart and you got this thing nailed down. And actually, you were such a machine gun at the beginning of this pitch. I'm like, well, we're going to ask a question. We're not going to stump this, this entrepreneur. And, and you did a great job. Um, I, I, I have a tough time believing a few things. I have a tough time believing the 200 bucks because that's a lot of money for a vending machine. I have a tough time believing that no one's done any of this kind of stuff in advanced places like Japan and Korea and places that are 10 years ahead by own emission and Europe who are much better at this stuff. In saying that, I do think vending machines will get a lot more advanced and a lot more AI will come in and yeah, let's throw it in there. Maybe the blockchain will connect it all and make a ledger of what's being sold and everything you're doing data. Wow, you the, went there. Yeah, you yeah. have to. You got to throw there. an AI blockchain to everything We're if you want up your valuation. I I, I'm kind of sitting where Phil is. Um, I would like to pay a higher valuation for your company and I'd like to put in more money when you have 500 or 1,000 vending machines and I'd like to pay for that, right? Uh, I'd like to pay a 10, 15, $20 million valuation when you have actual real revenue and you're proving that the dogs are eating the dog food, the people are drinking the champagne. That's where this thing would be for me. Yep, Thank you. Absolutely. I Thanks really appreciate that. Absolutely. I really, I mean, this, was, this ended impressive. up great for me. So good, thank, good. You. thank you. After the break, Don decides that VC is broken. This episode of The Pitch is brought to you exclusively by State Farm. We talk to a lot of entrepreneurs on the show, and one thread that connects them all, they're not just pitching their business, they're pitching themselves. Because small business owners know that their business is more than just a company, it's their whole life. And State Farm gets that. State Farm agents are small business owners too, and they know what it takes. They can help you choose personalized policies that fit your budget. That's the personal touch. That's small business insurance from State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. This episode of The Pitch is brought to you exclusively by State Farm. Small business owners know that it's not just business, it's personal. 
Your business is your life, and State Farm gets that. State Farm agents are small business owners too, so they know what it takes. They can help you create a personalized insurance plan that fits your small business needs and budget. And they live and work in your community. So you're not just getting an insurance plan, you're getting that personal touch. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Welcome back. After her pitch, Dawn went back home and took stock of everything. She was getting tired of pitching to venture capitalists, tired of trying to convince them that Popcom was the future of retail over and over again. And then she saw a different option. We are launching an ICO and I'm pitching for the first time in Dubai. Um, I'm, we're shooting for $30 million and that's why I didn't raise what? a lot of money. What? You're doing an ICO? Yeah. Yeah. Dawn has decided to stop raising money from VCs and is instead trying to raise $30 million via a little thing called an initial coin offering, or ICO. I'm sure most of you, those of you who haven't been living under a rock for the past year, know what an ICO is. What Dawn plans to do is to allow people from all over the world to invest in her company by doing something similar to when companies go public, or IPO. But in this case, instead of getting NASDAQ to list her company and allow people to purchase shares, she's issuing shares of Popcom using the blockchain, a technology that in this case allows people all over the world to own a piece of Popcom. So, needless to say, I was a little bit excited to dig in and find out why, seemingly out of nowhere, Dawn decided to take such a controversial path. Why do you need to, to do an ICO? and raise $30 million? The reason why I'm doing an ICO is so that I can get out of the uh, constant fundraising cycle. I want to build product and I want to get to work. And so this 30 million will get me many years of runway to be able to build my product, bring it to market, commercialize it and scale it without going back every six months to a year to raise money from VCs. I don't wanna sell my entire company to investors. I want to hire the very best talent that I can without restrictions around what I can afford to pay them. I want to expand my business globally without restrictions around, you know, how much money that we have. So this is not a white paper ICO. We have a real product. We have real customers. We have real investors. And I just want to go out and build product. So I'm going to ask a couple of questions that I know other VCs have said is the counter argument to what you've just given. Sure. Um, so one of them is that $30 million, for example, is too much money for a company at your stage. Like it's so much money that you won't know what to do with it. And that it's a company is better off to focus on the small things early on and not to like throw tons of money at growth, at user acquisition, at hiring too many people until you figured out a few things right. And like, you know that this thing is working. Like, what do you say to that? I say that they're entitled to their opinion. Um, and, you know, that's how I feel about it. I, I, I look at VC's track record of success when I hear them giving opinions about how startups surrender companies. And what's it about an 80 to 90 percent failure rate um, of VC? So that means that most of the companies they invest in are failing. 
because they're taking the VC's advice on how they should do business, how they should grow, when they should take money. And a lot of times it's off. And then when the company needs a bridge or, you know, needs another half a million to a million to keep going, the VCs don't give it to them and the company fails. Um, I'm not going to put myself in that, my business in that position. So I feel like the VC model is broken. I, I think it's demonstrated that it's broken. Um, it does work for 10%, 12% of companies, but the rest of us have to find our way and figure it out. And I believe in blockchain technology. I believe in a global economy. I believe that startups should be able to raise money from anywhere in the world. And that's what I'm pursuing. VC is broken. So you, all right, so you're Companies saying- aren't raising enough money to grow and scale. They're giving them, they're, they're spoon feeding them money and say, take this until you run out. And then come back and show us what you've done. And then, you know, it, it's, it's, it's stressful looking at the bank account waiting to run out when you know that it takes time to build anything substantial. But they give you just enough. So it's like going to the, the pharmacy and getting your drugs and you're, you're just getting like It's like a going weekly for your prescription. And, and, and you're about to like stock up for the next, you know. Seven to ten years of runway. And, you know, I yeah. am not new to this. I've been entrepreneur 16 years. I have amazing advisors. I have a lot of people around me that are experts, have, have done what I'm working to do. So I would not be irresponsible with this money and say, oh, it's, you know, it's, t- it's party time, new office, you know, Lamborghinis for everybody. Yeah. But we're not going to be crazy, super aggressive. We're going to get it to market. We're going to stay on our plan. And um, we're going to build the team and hire the people that we need. What, do you, what you got against VCs? I don't have an issue with VCs. It's the it's the VC model. It's it's what you just said. That's too much money for a startup. We're going to give them 500,000 and see what they do with that. Well, what happens is they run out of money most of the time. And and they know that. Yeah. And so um and understandably, and they come I understand, back and right. you give up more of your company right. and, they and own keep more. taking yeah. more and taking more. And then, you know, at the end of the day, the, the founders don't have much of the company that they still own. And uh, listen, I understand why in some cases it's done, but I am a seasoned CEO. I, I know what I'm doing and and I'm not like this is not my first startup and I'm coming out of college and I'm asking for millions of dollars and, you know, I'm taking a chance to see what's going to happen. I've been working right. on this business for six years. So it's time to go. It's go time. Aren't your current investors going to be pissed that you're doing this? No. When, when my investors understand the token economics and how the cap table will be tokenized to their advantage and their return, they're going to be giving me hugs. They're going to be putting my picture up in their office because I'll be a so great return So they're going to get more favorable terms because Absolutely. of this. Absolutely. Yes. Giving them a return on their investment. Aren't you aren't you nervous about this? Because I mean, you said like I've been doing this for six years. Like I know what I'm doing. I'm yeah. I'm an entrepreneur, but like this is this is a road not traveled, or this is a road uh, that's highly critiqued for being traveled. Right. Uh, like everything. Isn't that there I some do voice in is, your head that's like, ah? That's the story of my life. Everything that I do is highly critiqued. So I feel that this is exactly up my alley to do something that. Um, is not widely done. I love a challenge. I like to be among the first. I don't mind jumping in and and learning as I go. I'm not afraid of anything. I'm not intimidated by anything. I'm not nervous.
Somehow, I get the feeling from Dawn that she's both the underdog and the 10-time defending world champion. As far as the ICO goes, I'm not gonna comment on whether or not VC is broken or if ICOs are scams or the way of the future. That's for someone else to speculate on. But something tells me this won't be the last time this shiny new technology called the blockchain makes an appearance on this show. Our show is produced by me, Josh Muccio, Kareem Maddox, and Molly Donahue. We are edited by Devin Taylor. We're mixed by Enoch Kim. Original music composed by The Musemaker. Our theme music is by Breakmaster Cylinder. Thanks to Lisa Muccio for planning the recording of this pitch. We discovered Popcom because of a referral from our network. Thank you, A16Z. Founders who are raising money can apply to pitch by going to thepitch.show slash apply. And as a reminder, no offer to invest is being made to or solicited from the listening audience on today's show. All right, you've been listening to The Pitch from Gimlet Media. We'll be back with a brand new episode next Wednesday. This episode of The Pitch is brought to you exclusively by State Farm. If you're a small business owner, you know that it isn't just your business, it's your life. And whatever your business might be, you want someone who understands. That's where State Farm Small Business Insurance comes in. State Farm agents are small business owners themselves, living and working in your community. That means they know what it takes to help you personalize your policies for your small business needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today.